All right, we can go ahead and head back to our seats here. I'm going to be distracted by Josh's twinkling hat in the back there. That's quite the, quite the Christmas hat there, Josh. I like it. Well, welcome. If I haven't met you, my name is Jonathan Huff, and I'm a pastor here at Fremont, and it's really good to celebrate Christmas Eve together with everyone. And yeah, it's a unique group of people. Glad for all the family that was able to come visit Dakota's family and Marcel and Sharon's family. Good to have you here this morning. Um, we are doing things a little different this morning. We're just going to be reading through part of the Christmas story. And then we're going to have a couple breaks where at your table you can talk about an aspect of it. So hope you're uh, sitting next to someone you like. Um, Tom and Krista there, married couple. I hope you guys still like each other. You might, yeah, there you go. <coughs> Good. But we just wanted to, this morning, it was, I woke up and saw the snow and I was excited to see it, and then my 10-year-old son, Ian, got up, and I just kind of assumed he'd already seen it, but then I heard this, it snowed, it snowed, and was so excited, I was jumping up and down, and ran outside and had to see it, and great to see some snow, and I was just thinking about the, you know, something about Christmas, the Christmas season that's sort of magical, and obviously there's a lot in all the Christmas happenings, but the reason it's magical is because of the miracle of God sending his son, sending our Savior into the world and to, to make everything new, to bring us salvation, to bring life where there was darkness, where, to bring forgiveness where there was sin. And that's really the, the essence of what we're celebrating this season. And so we wanted this morning just to, to talk through the story, read through the story, and really trust God just to speak something present and um, applicable to our lives. And so, we're going to read in Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 1. It says, In those days, Caesar Augustus, so one of the most famous Roman emperors ever, was, was reigning at this time. Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town, to register. And, you know, Luke in his, his gospel account, he's often making, he, he's, it's a history. And he's letting the reader know, okay, this is who was the emperor, this is the time that it happened. It, it, uh, that it happened. And so the setting of Jesus' birth was that this, this census was going out to the whole Roman Empire. And so the Roman Empire was the most powerful empire in the world, one of the most powerful emperors, empires ever. And Augustus was one of the most powerful emperors of this empire. And this census, actually, historians tell us, it wasn't just like a taxing census, but it was, it was known as, in the Latin, is, is pater patria, but it means father of the country. And it was, the, it was actually the 25th anniversary since Caesar had become emperor. And it was a celebration of his reign. And not only that, but it was also the 750th anniversary of the Roman Empire. And so it was this idea of basically a show of force. Like, man, we are a really powerful empire, and we're counting to see how big and powerful 
We are. And 750 years, that's pretty impressive. When you look at the U.S., it's not even 250 years old. And this is three times longer than that. And so this is, you know, as far as human kingdoms go, this is up there. And, this is, and so there's a show of force. And a show of, like, kind of the kingdoms of the world showing and, and, and recognizing the power that they have. And in verse 4, it says, So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. And so, this is interesting, because Joseph was a descendant of King David, the greatest king Israel had ever known. And his, his genealogy, his, his record of his ancestors, is, is later in, in this book of Luke. And it shows it was... He, it was not just David, but King, David's son Solomon, and then the king after that, and the king after that, and the king after that, were all in the family line of Joseph. So he was part of this kingly line of Israel. But Israel had fallen on hard times, and they were no longer ruling in grandeur and power as they had. They were now a conquered kingdom under the Romans. And not only that, but Joseph, had, he and his family had gone from being the rulers of this nation to just being really an obscure poor family, living in an obscure backwoods town of Nazareth in the north of the country. And so there's this, this juxtaposition of worldly power and then the humility and the, even the poverty in which the family of Joseph and Mary uh, represented. And so they, and Mary, you imagine, she's, she's nine months pregnant, we assume, or she's you know, great with child, and she's having to travel this difficult journey why? Because the emperor is saying, hey, everybody has to be counted to show how powerful our empire is. And it goes on in verse 5. It says, he went to be registered with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. There's this amazing contrast between the Roman Empire and the king that God sent from heaven in the setting in which they live. You, of course, we'd expect a king to be born in a palace and have all the attention and recognition in news reports, but quite the opposite happens. He's, there's not even a hotel room found for him. And so he's basically in a barn and placed in a manger, a place where the animals would eat. And so, here's our first question you get to discuss at your table. Um, why do you think that God's plan, and it should be on the screen here, now why do you think God's plan was for Jesus to begin his life in a barn? Why would God plan it that way? For the Savior of the world to begin his life in a barn. Okay, I'm going to give you like one, two minutes. So... Talk at your tables, and then I might ask for some highlights. That's great. Yeah, humility. I did probably, I bet that word came up at, every, at most tables. Did that come up at your tables? The idea of humility? Yeah. It's just amazing, the character of God, who is so different. And that's what Laura at my table said. God, Jesus always did things differently than what we expected. And we tend to think that to be a leader, you, there's, you've got to you know, be powerful and show something, but God is always different. And later on, Jesus said, Blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom 
of heaven. And there's something about that God, that the things that really matter, the values of God, aren't expressed in what we tend to think they're expressed in. But there's something in the place of, of poverty, which is a place of, of recognizing our need, and our need for God. And, and also that God is, is, is with those who need him the most. And so I just think it's, it's such an incredible setting that in, into which Jesus, um, Jesus came into the world. We could talk. I know there are other thoughts about that. But I love, too, how Jesus, he comes to ordinary people in ordinary circumstances. And because that's how I feel about my own life most of the time. It feels very ordinary. And God was making clear that, hey, I am for the ordinary people who don't think that they're high and mighty, but know that they have needs. I am identifying with them and, and coming to them. All right, let's, let's keep reading on here. In verse 8, it says, There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. I, I noticed that so often when people have an encounter with God in the Bible, they're really afraid. There's this awe and fear that strikes them. And I think a lot of times, I tend to think that if there's something in front of me that is fearful, I tend to think like, oh, God couldn't be leading me to that. That would be too scary. God would be leading me to a safe place. But it's amazing that God doesn't usually lead us, I mean, He does lead us to safe places, but it's through the places that are fearful, that are, take us beyond our fears, that we have to face our fears to go there. So that's just kind of a, an aside there. But verse 10, But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. And catch that. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And as, I've been, as I've been thinking about this story this week, that, that phrase, born to you, has been the thing that stood out to me the most. And we, even the song we sang, is, there's another passage in Isaiah that uses a similar phrase that, for unto us a child is born. And you think about that, that this child, these angels appeared to these shepherds. They had no family connection to Mary and Joseph. They didn't even know them. But the angel said, for to you, a child is born. And so that's our next question. You have to talk about that. Why do you think the angels told the shepherds that Jesus was born to you? All right, ready? Go. 